back Optimism Vaccine. I'm Steve. It's the first Optimism Vaccine episode of 2024. And with me, as always, Adam Myros. Hello, Steve. We should, we should let the people know that we've uh, left Skype behind in the old year. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of people have accused us of of like creating boomer content, uh, you know, <laughs> elder millennials talking about things on a podcast and making cringy stuff. But I want you to know, yeah, we uh, we said goodbye to 2009 and hello to 2024 by officially moving to Discord from Skype. So you're fucking yeah. welcome. It's a pretty big step for us. Jack, are you excited to uh, finally be able to connect with Gen Z? Oh yeah, I mean, as as you guys know, it's something I've long wanted to do because they seem like a pretty chill, normal group of folks. Yeah, I don't know. I'm. I mean, I don't want to be too, you know, like old man yells at cloud or get off my lawn or anything. But uh, I've I've been getting a lot of like weird algorithm stuff. It's all salt burn related, but it's it's all these like twenty two year old women who are like. Don't don't come at me with your bad salt burn takes because this is a movie by women for women, and yeah. I don't I don't I don't understand that. Can can you explain this to me, Jack? Why? Why? Uh, see, why I mean, people... I think this it occurs to me. You know, I mean, I shouldn't really be saying anything mean about any of the other generations because the only thing I know about Gen Z really is filtered through social media, and no uh -huh. one comes out of social media looking normal or okay. So let's let's be honest. It's just it's. Yeah, it's a bad idea, and we—it's funny because Facebook and everything seemed pretty cool back in the early two thousands, and it, it didn't feel like the end times, but mm -hmm. may, maybe it was, and we were just kind of like, "Oh, YouTube seems like it could be a thing." Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's the rule of any of any social media platform or any internet platform. It's uh, it, it starts with intrigue and it ends in a in a giant dumpster fire. So. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm getting astroturfed a little bit, maybe, by the saltburn people. Like, these these people all feel like plants. No one can have that strong of a positive opinion on fucking saltburn. I mean, salt you, burn. you think that, but then Promising Young Woman did win an Oscar, which is yeah. absolutely yeah. insane for, I mean, my nominee for worst movie of the 21st century. And mm -hmm. I'm really hoping saltburn can can match it. Yeah, on, the, on that topic, I probably shouldn't, you know put this down but i really I, I feel the only appropriate thing to do is i am an amazon prime subscriber um so i can stream it for free and i don't want to i still want to steal it yeah just me too. to make a point so yep. that's how i feel about emerald fennel and her rich filmography <laughs> uh, that she bought her way into myros which female filmmaker do you hate the most um <laughs> Lena Dunham? I don't know. Oh, wow. Oh, no, you're not even the same category. No, no, dude. No. Come on. Come Jesus, on. Jesus, Adam. That's misogynist. What the fuck, dude? You piece I'm, of shit. You I'm, fucking piece I'm, of shit. I'm trying to court the internet here. You people. fucking piece of shit. <laughs> Unbelievable. And you're, you're not on board with me doing hot tub streams either. I don't get what the fuck your deal is, man. I mean, provided you stay out of my hypothetical hot tub, you're welcome to do as many <laughs> hot tub streams as you no. wish. I actually, no, we, we were going to buy a hot tub with our Patreon money, but uh, we just, we bought you a, a new gun instead, so just to add <laughs> to your collection. Out, turns out we didn't make nearly enough to cover like a no. tenth of a hot tub. But yo, like a rocket propelled grenade launcher is like, it's only like $500, so we, we, we're going we're gonna to get you strapped up, man. I think you okay. should get one of them. I hear Michigan's pretty dangerous. Some guys tried to kidnap the governor at one point. Yeah. It sounds like Rwanda, basically. Yeah, and Somalian and like, pirates, but you know, with baseball caps and camouflage overalls, you know. 
It's a yeah, pretty militia-heavy state, this this uh, good old Michigan. Oh, yeah, quite a few. And, Maros, I, I don't want to out you or anything, but, like, you know, I, I know I know you could really use it because you, you are a member of a, of a Hezbollah uh, sleeper cell based out of Metro Detroit, so I, I feel like an RPG could, could be pretty useful for you, right? It could be. It could, I mean, frankly, it's a better gift than a hot tub would be. A hot tub would just yeah. be... Uh, a real fucking kick in the balls to give someone who lives in a studio apartment. <laughs> I was yeah, saying, that, which that which corner of your apartment do you think you would put the hot tub in? <laughs> I think it would have to be the apartment. Like you would just yeah. have to put like your like because you, you kind of have like an L shaped couch, so maybe you just kind of like stick it in there. Well, that's and, fine. Hot know. tubs, yeah, they have like L shaped seats sometimes in them. That's yeah. like yeah. easy. Yeah. That's a straight swap. That's perfect. And if you drop I, like a good thing about a hot tub is that if you just drop like food while you're eating dinner on the sofa but now in a hot tub mm -hmm. like it just kind of just floats there and if anything it just cooks a little more yeah you ever you ever sous vide a steak in the hot tub while you're sitting in it uh probably just mean... put a put a, a fillet of salmon underneath you two hours yeah. you got dinner probably yeah, man, work just out salmon in the ziploc just fucking pop a squat couple hours later you're a little pruney a little hungry ready to go man just whip up some fucking dijon sauce slather it on there <laughs> So you have to down. invest in the uh, vacuum sealer then. Uh, you yeah, know. that that probably would help too. I, yeah. yeah, we don't. You, you don't want to get wet or anything. That'd be no, fucked no, up. No, but, that's just oh well. Uh, well, believe it or not, we're we're not talking about hot tubs or Hezbollah or or what the kids are doing these days. Uh, and we, and we might, might be talking about Hezbollah with one of these I, movies. Yeah. Who fucking knows. Yeah, who fucking knows. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, based on the like the, the little like beginning crawl for one of the films, Last Blood, that we're talking about, maybe we are. Who fucking yeah. knows? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, it probably was worse than the dub I watched. I kept referring to them as the Israeli Red Army, or, or I'm sorry, not Israeli, <laughs> Japanese, ja Red Japanese, Japanese Red Army. Jeez, that'd be a hell of a thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. it is one worse than the next. I mean, it, it seems pretty viciously <laughs> racist from coming well, from Hong a Chinese yeah. Japan have yeah. beef. I think Hong Kong yes. and Israel are like, I don't think there's much going on there that I know of, but. Yeah, I mean, maybe we should talk about Last Blood first because it doesn't fucking matter because this is how we got to this episode. Uh, well, you know, you, you, we want to talk about Hard Boiled. Who doesn't want to talk about Hard Boiled? It's great. And then we're like, oh, hey, didn't 88 Films put out uh, the in-name only sequel to Hard Boiled that was actually made three years prior to the original <laughs> Hard Boiled's release, also known as The Last Blood? And I was like, wow, yeah, we'll do a little double feature to kick off the year. And then we're like, wait a second, there's other movies <laughs> that are also yeah. called Hard Boiled 2 and or 3. Uh, so, yeah, we got we got Just Heroes, another John Woo. And then I was talking to you guys, and we're not actually talking about this today, but hey, maybe on a future episode when we talk more Ringo Lamb, because Ringo Lamb's full contact is also uh, known as Hard Boiled 2 in certain regions. Uh, so I guess, I don't know, if you have like guns and chow yun fat or maybe just guns, you can call your movie Hard Boiled too. Yeah, uh, guns are a link. <laughs> I think that's the only one. I actually, <laughs> so yeah, we're sticking it. to what, the German chronology here? We're, we're in uh, Last Blood. Oh, on IMDb, you'll find this film as 12 Hours of Terror, by the way. Yeah, yeah which yeah. is, it's not very... Uh, indicative of what the film is it's not much terror to be found in this film um no. but yeah it's actually the german chronology lists this as hard-boiled three so, mm, so there okay you go. there you go there you yeah, go it's hard-boiled three in germany it's hard-boiled two in the uk and then in 
uh, Hong Kong, the international title, is The Last Blood. And then for some reason in some other, in the international English title is 12 Hours of Terror, even though Hong Kong already gave it an English title, which is very confusing, but yeah, well, it, Hong no. Kong cinema kind of courts confusion at the best of times. It's kind of one of the reasons we love it. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah, echoes of the Italian La Casa series. <laughs> very, very much. Yeah. Which is just, yeah. I mean, I think the Italians are the masters of the completely unrelated chronologically fucked up uh, sequels, but uh, Hong Kong coming in strong here. So yeah, fuck it. Let's talk about 12 Hours of Terror slash Last Blood slash uh, Hard Boiled 2, which is, it's amazing. It's Wong Jing, and you, you kind of know what you're getting with him, which is, uh, I don't know, if you think of John Woo as this, this elegant action director, and I, I love John Woo because me and him have one thing in common, which is we both love Douglas Sirk. We both love Sam Peckinpah. And somehow he's been able to take these things that feel like diametrically opposed and, and just kind of like bring them together. So you get this melodrama with this uh, insane, beautiful violence. And uh, Wang Jing is just like, no, I, I want to just keep the pacing at a breakneck speed so that you don't have time to think about anything intentionally. And uh, my violence is going to probably resemble Looney Tunes more than anything else, which I'm totally fine with. And another reason why this is a, a for me, just a pillar of great Hong Kong action filmmaking is because if I don't know if you guys know this, it's it's a rule. But if you if you have a Hong Kong action movie in the 80s or 90s and someone in your film weighs more than 150 pounds, you have to call him fucking chunky sausage roll. Or I don't even think this guy weighs more Magoo. than 150 pounds. He seems He's to be barely. about five feet tall and not really fat. He's just kind of got like one of those double chins you see on an occasional Asian yeah, build. There's like, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, Eric Chang is, is the guy who's best known for comedy. But like uh, even if you watch some like early 70s or like, I guess, mid 70s martial arts movies, he shows up because he kind of started as a stuntman like a lot of them mm -hmm. do. And he's and he's just he's just yeah he's just kind of a stocky guy he's not fat or out of shape at all no but he's just Jesus the same Christ. build if you put me in a Hong Kong film they'd fucking call me like I don't know <laughs> Americano obesity or something I would not <laughs> would not fucking fare well I don't understand man it's, yeah, it's every, it's so every Hong funny. Kong comedy has to have a fatty it's just it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's have very a important it seems apparently it is something in their culture they just they, um. For, for whatever Cantonese slang that it's just like everyone just gets like nicknames that seem incredibly cruel, but it's just how they work. Like if you have like a spot on your face or something or a big nose, that's they just latch right on. That's your nickname. And next day, <laughs> everyone will call you that. And if you get a job, that will somehow will become your name there, too. Um, so yeah, is he fatty? Know. Is he fatty in the sub? Uh, I don't recall. In the dub, I think he so. is fat, fat boy. Uh, mm. He's constantly oh, a fat boy. I, I don't know. Been a while since I watched. I didn't watch this one fresh for the podcast. I watched it a couple of months ago for the when oh, they. Oh boy, Jack. Yeah, you geez. know. I know. I know. The limit, limit of time. The the year is ending. I was running out of year, Adam. Which you know happens every year. But uh, yeah, <laughs> they definitely make a lot of comment to his weight. I mean, to be fair, this is a movie also that introduces. Um, both uh, the main stars, Andy Lau and, and Alan Tam, uh, by both actors or both characters talking about how they look exactly like the famous actors who are playing them. 
Uh, so it's, you know, it's like Andy Lau on an airplane talking about how much he looks like Andy Lau. Uh, and then Anna, Alan Tam's character takes his glasses off and says his girlfriend says he looks a lot like Alan Tam, which is this is very Wong Ching. It's just like it doesn't matter. This is a man mm. who would like write seven scripts a year and each one of them would be paced like they're the bus from speed. There's like just no <laughs> like you cannot do not take the foot off the accelerator at any point. You've just got to keep going. Yeah. And it's it's I mean, honestly, it's to his credit because. This is a lot scrappier than even John Woo's scrappiest production. It's it's scrappier than your average Ringo Lamb production. Uh, but with that, even though it's threadbare, it it, it kind of works to his advantage because everything looks extremely dangerous. And I'm sure it actually is extremely dangerous. But my God, like they're thinking about hard boiled. There's obviously one of the big action set pieces in, in the original hard boiled is when this gang of guys on like dirt bike motorcycles just roll up to this warehouse and there's this big shootout and it's fucking awesome. So how does Wang Jing do this? Uh, he's got a dirt bike race through the streets of, uh, <laughs> of Singapore, Hong Kong, wherever they are. It's Singapore, and yeah. Singapore, yeah. And it's, it's just, it's absolutely fucking insane. Like there's points where, you know, guys are like jumping over these freeway tunnels and you're just like, oh my God, like what? Is everyone okay? And then all of the bikes are rigged with explosives so that when, you know, in the scene, when when they shoot the dirt bikes with their guns, they'll kind of explode and it looks cool. But like they're the it just feels like people are actually getting blown up, uh, which is amazing. So once again, contemporary Hollywood, get your shit together. I want you fucking blowing up motorcycles and, and lighting actual people on fire. No more green screen, please. It's one of the things that, that, that I've learned, like Sam Hong running his stunt team um, and many others. It's like all the stunt men have to cross train because it's just an understanding that at any given day, it's likely you will never be able to do stunts anymore. So you need to know how to do something else in in stunt work so like you know like carpentry or lighting or so you know <laughs> something else because mm. yeah uh there there's a real there's a real brash quality to this which i think is very typical of the wong jing films which were made quick and cheap and um, but pulled in a surprising array of talent i mean wong jing he could up the budget when he wanted to but he like he was, he was kind of like choi hawk he was kind of like a film factory unto himself like there's just it's like a wong jing brand like mm. movies don't even have to be directed by him that you look at it and go oh this is a wong jing movie um and yeah it, i uh, it's it's just like a, a there's just a chaos a kind of a barely organized chaos that represents so many of the wong jing films of this era um, yeah which is and and a, you know, a very and a, this occurs to some degree in a lot of Hong Kong uh, genre films. But Wang Jing really pushes it. Is like surprisingly gnarly violence coupled with the most childish comedy imaginable. Just like mm-hmm. absolute yeah. stupid slapstick nonsense, and then someone's face will get blown off. Oh, uh, totally. Then, it's yeah. it's like whiplash, right? It's it's absolute tonal whiplash, which can be disorienting or annoying. But when Wang Jing does it, it's just like, oh, you little scamp! Like you just want to <laughs> slap him on the back. And a great example of this is you've got our, our character Fatty, and he's he's hiding in this house, and uh, the you know the bad guys catch up to him, and then a woman is just blasted in the chest by one of these bad guys in front of her small child. 
And this is like right in between two like goofball fatty joke moments. <laughs> You're like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. And then he's like holding her and she just like dies in his arms. And it's this like constant back and forth. It's it's kind of wild, but it it works. It works. I one thing I'll say, yeah, that's what you say. You, that's one opinion. That's one <laughs> opinion I'm less, less with thrilled with, with the one Less thrilled, yeah. Uh, I, mean, I, I quite enjoyed the other one we watched uh, last year, which what, was... Wong Jing's Die Hard? Yes, yeah, yes. High risk. Or whatever it was high, risk, yeah. high risk. Because that is, you know, a Jet Li movie, and the action is just fucking incredible in it. Uh, this, it, less so. I mean, it's just kind of... The action is, is fine, but it's it's never, like, kind of spectacular i would say but uh it's just i I don't know this is a maniacal film like if you look at what the plot of this is why the fuck (laughs) why is this like some high concept the plot plot is fucking insane i never i never imagined that a movie called the last blood would actually be literally about blood but that's actually yeah. the <laughs> technically the plot. It's really a MacGuffin. This movie makes no sense. Yeah, but like yeah, you're making this dumb blood dumb, donor. Yeah, making a dumb dumb action comedy. Why does your plot involve this uh, seeming like dystopia wherein America is funding a Japanese Red Army to assassinate every peace loving <laughs> world leader? Yeah, the, literally the opening. It's got this opening like crawl uh, card thing where it's just we, uh, yeah. Here's all your exposition dump, and that's that's what it says. Just like no one is safe. Every person with any influence or any love of peace on Earth is fucking dead. And then and then they're just trying to murder the Dalai Lama. Except no, it's the Daka. It's the Daka Lama. <laughs> no, no, no. About llamas. For all I know, that's a real thing. I don't know. Yeah, how many fucking llamas are? There, this is Wang I'm guessing that's not a real thing. It probably means like donkey llama. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's entirely possible. Yeah, the the plot on this is is great. For, so so to extrapolate, like to to lay it out a little bit. So just so you know how crazy this thing gets. Um, it's all set in Singapore, all location photography, which is kind of nice. Nice change up if you watch a lot of Hong Kong movies to to go somewhere else. Um. Yeah, the the Japanese Red Army, who are just a series of brutish Japanese stereotypes, uh, have been assigned to assassinate the Daka Lama, who's a peace-loving uh, world leader. And they managed to they managed to plug him in the airport. They shoot him, and they shoot someone else as well. And they need blood transfusions. They will last for like twelve hours, and then they need blood transfusions. But they 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 have they're both people who've been shot, and one is a girlfriend of Andy Lau, or one of our heroes, create a little bit of tension. Um. They 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 need what is it blood type P, which is an <laughs> entirely fabricated blood yeah, type that's so yeah. rare it doesn't exist. And there's only six people in Singapore with that blood type. And mm. the Japanese Red Army, who has approximately three hundred fully armed members, decide that rather than going to the hospital to finish off the Takalama, it would be easier to basically storm the entire island to kill six people who they they're trying to find the six blood donors, so the Takalama will bleed out. They don't don't storm the airport because the military are guarding the airport and they're like there's no way we can do that but spoiler alert the conclusion of this movie is the two surviving members of the japanese red army deciding okay we will storm the hospital and succeeding which makes me think <laughs> if they'd done it with the full army at the start this would have been a much shorter movie yeah yeah no it is great and it's also just it, it, i mean not only how ridiculous and convoluted the whole thing is for what is essentially a, a pretty basic story that is overly complicated uh but yeah it's grim as fuck too like wong jing is a he's he's got a mean streak to him that i kind of appreciate yeah as as with uh 
a previous movie that we watched with him. It's just like the the comedy can be a little much. I think I I kind of got into it a little more with uh, that last movie just High because. Risk. Yeah, just because of the the weird like sadistic fucking like Jackie Chan <laughs> like yes, grudge right. that he was holding in that film. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas here, it's just like kind of unmotivated and annoying. Yes. Like, uh, worth yeah. noting, Wong Jing has no problem airing laundry in movies. That was yes. no. that's, uh, totally apart from. In fact, this movie also just to uh, you know extrapolate on on pop culture references. This movie also has a doctor fantasizing about naked Bridget Lin at one point as well. He's just someone mm-hmm. who you know a big Hong Kong star who Wong Jing definitely hangs has hung out with. Uh, has worked with i'm sure so it just puts that in it's just like is this would this be weird or like i don't know that's yeah I, I guess there's nothing on on the high risk level of yeah when it's like oh here's a child taking a piss and then someone remarks that the kid's got a dick like jackie chan like <laughs> yeah that, see that was a fascinating employment of this slapstick stuff whereas here it's just mostly annoying as shit i'm like i i can't deal with any more of this fatty nonsense why like, do you hate just, fat people oh i i have no issue with fat people and this movie does not feature any fat people <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's the it's the representation that that's what bothers oh, you right? yeah, the lack no, of representation. I, I think it's probably again i did watch a dub of this which probably didn't help because his voice was piercing at all times but <laughs> why why did you watch the dub <laughs> I, it's a wong jing movie it, and i had a dual audio uh, copy uh, and i I don't know. I had read some things that the subs were kind of iffy, so I was like, eh, it's a Wong Jing movie. I'll just watch the dub. Uh, I, yeah, I, I don't know that my experience was fundamentally altered, but yeah, the the voice for uh, yeah, fat boy slash fatty is uh, it's not great. It's quite grating I, on I the nerves. There's, there's, some, there's some odd stuff in the dialogue, sorry, but I, I have a feeling, no, probably didn't fundamentally alter the structure of this movie too much, no. considering it's just insane but it's interesting i like uh, wang jing is he reminds me a little bit of like a larry cohen type and uh, the, the very different larry cohen obviously working in the western model had to be a lot more fastidious about small details and this and that but he would he would come up with these like really smart little hooks and like build stories out from them and um there's just it's wang jing is like the the like galaxy brained like goofball version of that like there's there's a whole plot element in this about uh alan tam's um partner quitting smoking um and he has he's got a fake cigarette because he just needs a cigarette uh you know on his lip at all times and it's there all the time and like at a certain point it's like wow the continuity on this is actually more dedicated than i would expect for a movie like this uh that he's they just kept the fake cigarette at all times and then later on it turns out it's a plot <laughs> device because it's actually a microphone, <laughs> yeah, which yeah, I microphone. never realized. It's, it's, there's a spoiler there, by the way. If you haven't seen this movie, not that it will matter. No, no, everything in this movie will surprise you in how it shows up. Not I like the microphone cigarette thing, because as an explainer, it's just like, this is why, you know, the, the Red Army is always showing up where we yeah. are and always beating us to the punch because they know because of your your cigarette. And the whole time I'm thinking, it's like, I didn't even take that into consideration. I thought Wong Jing was just doing his thing. And like, I, I was just supposed <laughs> yeah. to accept that the Red Army was here because that's that's his whole like approach to filmmaking. And I forget. Oh God, where did I see this? But someone was talking about uh, it, was, it was a movie where there was there was some visual effect where uh, basically they fucked it up. And, and there was this like weird, like doubling of a tree 
and, and the shot was weird and it was like this building was being knocked down it was the cgi shot and the, the director ended up leaving it in instead of fixing it because he was like you know if you're focusing on that if you're noticing that then we're not doing our job because we you know you should be moving along at a certain pace and and we're focusing your attention on certain things so you don't fucking look at that dumb shit like who cares and that's kind of how Wang Jing makes movies is he's like, I am literally going to grab you by the back of your fucking shirt and I'm going to drag you at a hundred miles per hour through all kinds of shit. And I'm not going to let you think about it. And the only time you can stop to think about it is after the movie's over. And at that point, you're just you're either in it or you're not. So it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, it's but, like there's, yeah. there's smart little details like he, he he's clever in that he comes up with these little narrative hooks and they might be outlandish but they're like these little concrete story beats that kind of are kind of sometimes clever or certainly innovative or surprising and then yeah those kind of like build audience anticipation in or keeps the audience going while everything else around like the macro level the film can be absolutely incomprehensible i mean like we say this is a movie about like a paramilitary group basically storming singapore to kill one dude for like a million bucks it's just, it's just absolute just nonsense and there's one cop standing in the way and a, and one kind of angry low-level hong kong gangster who's mm. mad at everyone uh it's it's a, like yeah it's it's complete nonsense but it, i i do appreciate the way wong jing can like there there's a method in there certainly mm -hmm. yeah i i think for me it was like uh, it's just the the comedy broke the pacing to an extent that that I did start thinking about something like why the fuck why why do these guys keep set like why does the Hong Kong gangster feel that it is a, a good idea to take Fat Boy away from the police and why do it like it's just like utility obviously like oh we're gonna mm. have a, them chasing each other constantly through the but it's like there's no narrative re reason no. that makes sense for any of that. Need that no. Come well, on, I, I wouldn't even think about it if this movie was going breakneck action, but it's just that it's not always, I, I don't know, the comedy is probably very cultural and does not work for me, so I... I get no. bored and I start yeah. going, why is any of this even happening? <laughs> that's because I mean, you're, you're, you're racist this. and you're fat phobic, Myros. That's the yeah. only explanation. Yeah, I, would, I, would, I would agree. This is uh, To me, this is a solid, <laughs> enjoyable Wong Jing film, but it's not like yeah. the Wong Jing film. No, but, no. Yeah. This, was, this was not for everybody. But goddamn, you know, the last thing I'm going to say about this is how do I know we are living in the golden age of, of home video? How about because there is a lavish, uh, high-definition uh <laughs> physical media release for fucking the last blood hard boiled two by wong jing what a what a time to be alive so shout out to 88 films how does that, uh, that villain how does the head of the red army look in that high def because even in in the standard def version i was watching uh that uh is that supposed to be like a Punisher skull bleached into his face? Or what's going on with that? <laughs> I don't know. Skin's just kind of like peeling off a little. Yeah, that's fine. Don't worry about it. It's, uh, yeah. Don't like he's Japanese. It. He's not human. By, I, by thought the was, I thought yeah, it was intentional. Like by the end of the movie, I'm like, is that supposed to be a skull? Like, what is this? <laughs> oh, man. That, I mean, that's inspiration. I kind of want to get a Punisher skull just branded into my cheek. That's the next step. Yeah. Fucking He's sticker in the back here. Yes. Oh, let's do it, man. Let's let's get fucking Punisher brandings and become cops.
I think they they promote you to lieutenant the moment you start if you got the fucking Punisher branded on your face. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You uh, might have to kill someone to make rank. I'm not sure how they run it these days. Easy peasy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you you collect ears, you make a necklace out of them. Uh, there well, is some standout know, stuff though, right? Like that that uh, dirt bike chase is pretty great. <laughs> oh hell yeah, the oh, dirt yeah. bike chase is worth it alone. Like if you're, if you're not gonna watch this, but you want a little taste, I bet that exists somewhere on the internet. Just watch that shit. But I mean. There's there's worse ways to spend I think, ninety I minutes think in your the, life. The vehicle stunt stuff in this is done by uh, I was it Blackie Ho? I can't remember his name, but he's he's one of the big uh, Hong Kong stunt coordinators. And yeah, I mean mm. it's good stuff. And like like Adam says, it looks dangerous because it almost certainly really is. I, I do wonder like Singapore invited them in, like, hey, we'd like to make a movie in your nice city. And they're like, oh, wonderful. And they were watching it going, um, was this a mistake? <laughs> like, is this going to be an international incident? Are we going to be shipping bodies back? Yeah. Well, I guess we can jump from Wong Jing to, well, a, a, a little bit of John Woo. Uh, and it, well, 50% John Woo, 50% Woo Ma. Uh, let's yeah. talk about Just Heroes, which is kind of a John Woo movie, but kind of not because. Uh, from what I understand, there was a director who was like completely bankrupt. So John Woo and Wu Ma were like, let's make something kind of like a better tomorrow and we'll slap it together real quick with our buddies. And then we'll take all the proceeds and give them to this director so that he can retire happily. And then I think he went on to like squander the money making yeah, more made, films than no one saw. Yeah, yeah, right? they, they made this for Chang Che, who was um, mm-hmm. a major figure in uh, Shaw Brothers, particularly in the, and really made the foundational member, a kind of formative guy of the whole heroic bloodshed thing. And he was John Woo's mentor. So he was, he was a big deal. And Choi Hawk, I think was probably instrumental. Who's an, also a producer on this film with Chang Che. I think Chang Che is probably a producer and name only just to, uh, excuse the fact that this is this movie is essentially a fundraiser and i, I suppose it kind of makes sense because uh, uh linking this to the last blood because if Ma wong jing does everything like by the seat of his pants and quick just heroes is pretty much the john woo seat of the pants quick movie they they really i think threw this one together pretty quickly as say john woo directed with woo ma so and woo ma is actually even a more senior director than john woo um at mm-hmm. that point in time particularly so like two solid well-known directors certainly john woo is uh, the the film is a john woo film if you look at the shape of it it's very similar to better tomorrow it feels like it's made made of like john woo off cuts but yeah, they, they they basically released it, made some money, gave it to Chang Che, said, hey, happy retirement, you know, you've been an inspiration to us, and Chang Che went off and just made another movie with it, and <laughs> I don't know how successful it was. I yeah I I don't I don't know I don't I have a feeling it wasn't a big hit. Uh. <laughs> no, probably by the late '80s, Chang Che was certainly not the. Uh, I mean, hell, even at this point, like the late days of King Who was struggling to be like to integrate into the film industry. So I, I don't know how Chang Che would have been doing. Uh, I guess he's the opposite in the sense he's not like a perfectionist, but like he was a uh, he's known to be not a very nice, malleable presence on set. So, yeah, I, I don't know. And Shaw Brothers was gone at that point. Largely, the, the cast has made up a lot of Shaw Brothers alumnus or alumni. So. You know, lots of friendly faces familiar to him and everything, all trying to do their, their best. But um, the, the era of Chang Che was certainly, I think, mostly passed by... When was this, 89? Yeah. Yeah, 89. This, yeah, this was <clears throat> 89, which means um, 
I, I, hard to tell because Chang Che made two movies, it looks like, in 1990. So the funds from here either went to Hidden Hero or Slaughter in Gien. Uh, I, I don't know if either one of those. Two I've uh, not seen. <laughs> yeah. Can't say that I have either. Uh, so I mean, maybe they were huge hits. I hope they were. I hope he still got to retire. But uh, yeah, you know, th- this is kind of an interesting document. It just is like something that was kind of slapped together, more or less. Uh, it- it's funny because it's still so much better than <laughs> like it just shows like how John Woo was just head and shoulders above everyone else in terms of his action directing. Although it is kind of funny because compared to some of John Woo's other movies. Uh, this one is way more uh, talky melodrama than it is straight action. And I think for John Woo, it's because his action scenes probably take so many more resources and time as opposed to the, the dramatic scenes. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of an odd duck. Like, like you said, it's, it's kind of a better tomorrow light. Uh, and the, the only real negative thing I have to say about it, though, is probably the worst soundtrack in the history of John Woo's filmography i think it's uh, not good yeah especially coming no, off it, of watching hard-boiled first i was like Ugh. i don't even know what the fuck it is it sounds like if if you were on an elevator and the elevator was playing music to try and fuck you i, I it's really weird it's just it's all fucking jazz sax and piano i don't get it but um yeah i I don't know. It's uh, it's got some standout action pieces, set pieces though. Uh, yeah, specifically. I, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was, like I think definitely worth. It's worth hanging around for the conclusion. The conclusion is superb. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's it's kind of like a hard or, or a better tomorrow. But um, just the the character delineations are don't really work here. It, it's it's almost like they're transposing it. They're like, I feel like this movie would make no sense if you hadn't seen a better tomorrow previously or you know or somewhat mm-hmm. familiar with that genre to be honest the genre became so ubiquitous that actually you know at this stage you've probably seen movies after just heroes that will help you translate it uh, that are you know within the same mode you know american or hong kong yeah but, uh, yeah it very feels it feels yeah. a piece with that sort of stuff. but but it is just mm-hmm. sort of um the characters aren't very well fleshed out. It's it's just not a very to my mind like there's a lot of talking and drama, but it's not very riveting. Yeah, and it, especially going with the like, which brother is the bad guy? It's like right. Oh, it's it's uh, it's the guy with the mustache. You know, yeah. it's the guy with the mustache. <laughs> he definitely looks like the bad yeah, guy. You're like immediately. You're like, I bet you that. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. One of one of the more interesting things about this actually is that this one does have a an early kind of significant dramatic lead for Stephen Chow uh, before mm. he would obviously for the, the 90s become the biggest star in Hong Kong and massive mm. comedy sensation. He'd done, he was in A Better Tomorrow, I think in a really small role. He'd been in a few other films here and there. Um, but this is, I mean, I'm trying to think of, I know he had a few others, but I'm trying to think if I've seen any other film with a Stephen Chow dramatic major role. And he's, he's kind of the young upstart who kind of is, is too too uh, i guess cocksure and and willing to upset things he's too quick to act and ends up mucking everything up and getting himself killed and getting many other people killed but ultimately of course it's all because someone a little older and more cynical and uh, manipulated him to to cause trouble i'm still not entirely sure why he was killed uh, frankly just i think just to, to 
clear things up. Probably because he'd come <laughs> after the guy once they found out. You know, it's probably just tidier. Well, also, yeah, but why? Would, like, he believed him. You know what? He did, but you know, I you, who knows how things shake down when everyone else dies. Uh, you know. I guess. I, I mean, yeah. I think it's mostly just because it's a good dramatic scene for yes, Stephen yeah. Chow being like stabbed to death at a prison yard. Um, but yeah, it, it, but the film has that kind of like it, the feeling of the film really is that everything is being propelled not by the actual plot in the film, but by the kind of necessities for this genre you already know about. Yes, exactly. Yes. But it, it, I don't the back you know, 20 minutes, half hour or so, quite compelling stuff. Just uh, oh, yeah. Even in the reveals, the last action sequence is obviously stellar, uh, and yeah. But as soon as the as soon as the bad guy is revealed, and it's not too surprising, then shit really hits the fan, and you're like, okay, now we got us a movie. Like, I really do enjoy the uh, the fake out with the killing of the other brother. I, I it got me. I wasn't expecting him to come back for any reason, <laughs> but but it it just. It works. It, it's a mean potatoes sort of thing for John Woo. It's 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 an afterthought, I would say, but it's also it's still John Woo. <laughs> it's still Hong Kong John yeah. Woo. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not gonna go wrong with it. Yeah, no. The concluding firefight is is still just like any other action movie director would be very pleased to have anything like that in there. Even even while in weird self referential mode, there is a dude running around. Going, it's just like a better tomorrow, and sticking yeah. guns everywhere that don't have bullets <laughs> in them, uh, yeah. which which there's a weird comedy beat thrown in, which you know, classic Hong Kong, but that kind of strange self-referential element. So, like, you know, John Woo's being a little silly here, almost, but um, it, it's it's pretty pretty solid stuff. I mean, the the you say that final gunfight through the house is uh, a little reminiscent of Better Tomorrow 2, except Better Tomorrow 2 is vastly bigger and more bloodthirsty when they start tearing shit up. That film is absolutely unhinged. But, um, yeah, it's it's just, it's really, it's really good stuff once it hits that. It's the first hour, maybe a little more of a chore if you're if you're not really on board, but Still, it, yeah. it kind of it, but it mostly works. It's just, it's mostly it's just like kind of works without distinction until that final final sequence. But and, it's not like awful. Yeah, and I think a lot of that like sort of confusion is not helped by the fact that what we had subtitle wise not not fantastic. I don't know that. No, uh, no, I think we're, we were depending. On, I think a rip of a French DVD with sub English subs from somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, the, the, uh, like those, all the names the great, are very uh, strange and it is this yeah, the, it's it's quite confusing cuz yeah, I think the names are they don't match what you'll see on IMDb at all. It's just kind yes, of like mush. Yeah. It's going to walk cuz I mean it's a John Woo movie like it's it's he he did direct a good chunk of this. You think they could put it out, but then again, I guess Hard Boiled is buried in rights hell, so maybe mm -hmm. this one is too for all I know. Oh, it, it has to be. There's because there's no way. And this looks like like the best copy you could find of this. It still kind of looks like shit. Uh, I, I had I didn't use the copy that, that you provided, Jack. I, I had one already, but mine, there was like four or five different scenes where there was just like a massive line down the middle of the screen no. where the print was clearly damaged. And I was like, Jesus Christ. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know why we we live in a world where we get uh, Wong Jing's <laughs> hard boiled too, but we can't get fucking hard boiled 
arguably the greatest action film of I all guess, time. I guess you can't Wong, get that. Wong Jing had the foresight to not have his film produced by a company that would just start going into real estate instead of movies and just decided yeah. they were done with that and sold yeah. the Asian rights. I believe the Asian rights for hard-boiled are freely acquirable and so they were sold to a large company. Uh, but the international rights were never sold and they are with a company that now does not consider itself to be a movie company. So mm. it's just, it's done. Uh, no one can contact them. They're not interested. They don't care. Which makes me wonder why, you know, Criterion, release a bootleg. Fuck it. What are they going to do? Yeah, what are they going to do? They don't Find care. Find a print. Uh, restored. Just do the Hong Kong rescue thing. It'll be better than whatever <laughs> else is out there. And just put it out. What is some fucking... <laughs> royal princess realty or whatever they think they're gonna come after you they aren't gonna care they no. don't even know i, I like <laughs> do the hong kong rescue thing the hong kong rescue thing is when you you paypal some guy 30 bucks for a movie you don't ever get yeah well yeah. do, <laughs> do just sell you fucking snake oil <laughs> to do better than hong kong rescue what's that uh what's that bootleg website oh that sloppy seconds or something sloppy I think. seconds i think you can this is the joy of, of the Hong Kong rescue bootleg because that guy folded because, you know, he was he was offering to sell bootlegs. And then when people bought him, he's like, fuck, now I got to mail him. Uh, but now <laughs> sloppy seconds, I think they took his exact bootleg and now you can buy their bootleg of his bootleg. But they actually I mean, deliver it, things. That seems, yeah, that seems fair. To, to be fair, Hong Kong rescue was doing a ton of other tweaks and stuff. He wasn't just slapping a digital follow. Yeah, disc. yeah. But but yeah, he's still. What the fuck? He was like, everyone's like, please send me my stuff. And he's like, great news, everyone. I'm working on a new project. And it's like, this is not going to end well. No, and he does great work because uh, yeah. I was one of the, you know, the three out of 10,000 people that actually got their shit in the mail. Uh, I, it's And it's a shame because he's, he's done some incredible work. Uh, it's a shame that he never figured out how the U.S. Postal service works and, and how to kind of <laughs> I think you know, it's, it's funny because this this also apparently happened to knitters my my wife being big into knitting was telling me about this that during the pandemic like small like you know people who dye yarn they work in really small mm. batches but they were just posting stuff online and everyone was at home just twiddling their thumbs and a few of them got super popular and they got just they, they just didn't have uh, uh, any kind of like process or like I guess uh, preparation for just getting swamped with orders there was no way they could meet them so some of them faked their own death <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing a over yeah. fucking wool yeah yeah to get because they, <laughs> they could not meet demand and because it's such a small close-knit community I think it was like you know online like you know you know how nasty people get about just like unimportant shit it, you know, just it's. I think some people just thought this is the easiest way out, and I'm kind of pissed that Hong Kong rescue guy never faked his own death. He just closed <laughs> yeah. all his emails and shit. Yeah, it's fucking lame. Also, I, w I wonder if these people realize like you can just turn that shit off, right? Like, right. yeah. Well, you could stop <laughs> taking orders, and you could yeah, stop, stop taking, taking new commissions. <laughs> would yeah. be yeah. basic you, baby steps towards. If you're you know, if you're running an artist in business, that you should have a firm limit on uh, orders. You know, that you yes. can fulfill in a given no. period of time. Just, just fucking take the money and, and just fucking like DB Cooper yourself, I guess. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> That's the move. The good news I is I, I have digital copies of all the Hong Kong legend or Hong Kong rescue stuff. So, so it works mm. out. I mean, we, I watched the Hong Kong rescue thing and it honestly, it's the best the film has ever looked that I've seen. Yeah. Um, oh, it's incredible. Yeah, it's terrible. Um, that, Again, the post office is hard, man. That's, you gotta <laughs> fucking go there. You gotta like put, 
addresses on stuff. That's that's the difficult part. Not like meticulously frame by frame restoring a film. It's that's easy. Yeah, no, easy. easy. That's, that's, well, why that's don't fine. they just? Why does the man just distribute them digitally then? He does. He he tried to do that afterwards. They were available for that afterwards, but people tended to want the discs because there was particularly because I think I don't think he did it with the supplements, and he like did a really good job gathering all kinds of little like tidbits, you know, from you know like promotional mm. reels from Hong Kong TV and Jackie Chan New Year's messages and things, and putting them on there. Like there were all kinds of like cool little bits and pieces and stuff that he worked with other people to get translated. Like who I'm sure they didn't get paid for any of this either. Uh, but mm. yeah, it, like so, people wanted the disc because the disc is like a oh, you know a discreet you package. You fucking sickos! And you, so then you later, this poor man nuts with your goddamn disc fetish. Well, no, but the thing the thing was later on he tried to like it was only later on that he was like, okay, what if I put everything available digitally? But then he even obfuscated that because he was like, it's a code and you have to go and it's like, look, you, this is all wildly illegal. So why don't you just put like make it just accessible to everyone? Probably because he didn't mm. want to pay for the hosting, even though he'd still and God only knows how many thousands of dollars at this point <laughs> probably could have afforded to host it for free and just let whoever needs to take it because it's not like he's selling it again. Uh, he's she's gone. I don't think he wants yeah. that anymore. So look, it's all up on KG and a couple of other sites. So you know, but it's just fucking stupid. The whole thing is incredibly <laughs> fucking stupid. <laughs> it was great. It was really great. And then people just kept giving him money. They're like, oh, I haven't got the first order yet. It's been eight months, but <laughs> shit, now he's putting out Peking Opera Blues. I better fucking send him 30 more dollars. <laughs> that, was, that was my, I said, I made one order. Uh, and then as things were going on, it's like, yeah, I'm, no, I wouldn't. No, no more. We'll see. No, I, I got, I got all my stuff from him. Cause I guess, uh, I guess he only, he only sent things to people that he respected. So that's, Probably, uh, uh, that that's, was in the fine print. Yeah, that was in the fine print. Anyways. Uh, yeah, not, not my favorite John Woo by a long shot, but I mean, this is still like, I wouldn't call it top tier, but it's mid tier John Woo. You put this right alongside broken arrow, baby. Like <laughs> this is in the broken arrow tier. No, I don't know about that. Broken arrow. You, uh, you're rules. a big broken arrow guy. Yeah. You, you're fucking rock hard. That, that movie arrow. has its defenders. I haven't seen it in forever. I, I think it's my favorite Woo US film, honestly. Really? Wow. wow. So, you know, I mean, I, I've never seen Wind Talkers. I've got to do, I've got to do a, a woo. I don't think we're going to consider Wind Talkers. Maybe we should. Are we all yeah. tour uh, theorists or not? Yeah, we're paycheck. Uh, we got to see Paycheck. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, maybe. It's got bad. That's what we're going to do. Right? We got the new woo. We could watch, uh, we could watch Paycheck, uh, Wind Talkers in the new one and see, <laughs> see what comes out on top. That's great. So, so from like Oscar level highs to you're getting run out of Hollywood to 20 years later, I got to make a small movie. So we could just, just the full fucking small, arc, right? A small, surprisingly racist movie. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, Wind yeah. Talkers was pretty run out of Hollywood as well, even though it did get some cursory like awards talk, but it was a very bad uh, financial failure. Was that, was that, uh, was that Nicolas Cage? Was, was he the Wind Talker? I think so. That sounds right okay. to me. Yeah, I always that was the year of he was, he was doing a, That was the year of Hollywood where you had to have a white guy up front. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to do the, the wind talking. Wait, wait, okay, so what, did, did Nicolas Cage also, did he do the World War II movie where he, with the mandolin or whatever? Fucking Captain, Captain Corelli's Corelli. Yeah, that was Nicolas Cage, yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. He had are we, are we forming another podcast as we speak? Yeah, Is it just <laughs> yeah it's... <laughs> the Nicolas Cage World War II canon? 
I just think every every Oscar bait movie, because fuck the Oscars, every Oscar bait movie should just be like World War II shit and and bland as fuck. Like I want everything directed by George Clooney about World War II. Everything has to be Monument Men. That's that's the I mean, only you say thing. That, but like Mel Gibson won Oscars for Hacksaw Ridge and the worst fucking movie I've ever seen, and it's soaked in gore. It's like yeah. you think it would be fun just for that, and somehow it isn't. No, that's like <laughs> that's like fucking uh, <laughs> Hacksaw Ridge is it's cannibal holocaust for like dads with blue lives matter flags out in front of their house <laughs> okay so that yeah. logo wind talkers 115 million dollar estimated budget to gross the oh, okay. under 78 million worldwide so that, that, that i was there shit. my butt was in the seat i fucking watched that movie i've never seen it let's say oh that's too bad uh, yeah, yeah, it doesn't strike me you as, fucking hate indigenous people. We've established this already. Uh, it doesn't strike like, me oh. as the sort of thing I want out of my John Woo movies. <laughs> <laughs> indigenous people? Uh, well, you can have indigenous <laughs> people, but you need like them hurling tomahawks or some shit. Is that's. <laughs> That's that's what John Woo is going to be doing. Not that you don't want to you don't you don't want them talking. You don't want to hear the indigenous people talk. Is uh, what well, they can talk all they want, but let's have some <laughs> some quips. Uh, I mean, we do have the hard target Creole representation. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, yeah. That's whatever, what you want. That's what you. That's the real United groups. Nations. <laughs> that's really the the lane you want it to be. And this is like serious John Woo, which no thank you I, he, he didn't I'm, just, I'm just trying to in back you into a racist corner that's my only goal for this I mean I, I, I feel like I've said episode. enough to, to if you want to you know definitely if you want to be there. taken out of contact yeah, if you want to go there we, we did a tomahawk comment we could put that on the website we could probably get some patreons to leave yeah well, I, we I think I think Jack and I can both say from the standpoint of allies that you know, in a world of allies, there's also adversaries. We may have one sitting in on this show right Entirely now. John Who knows what to do with them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, well, I would warn you, uh, revisiting Broken Arrow as much as I love the fucking movie, uh, the problem with that movie is is some casting. Like, the Christian Slater, quite bad. Uh, and Samantha Mathis uh, as the, like, his cohort slash love interest. It's just, There's some bland stuff going on. It, it really sings with Travolta, but outside of that... Uh, it's it's not uh, that's probably why it doesn't have quite the same rep as face off because there's there's mm-hmm. no one for Travolta to face off with Slater's pretty phoned in. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess we should use the rest of the show to talk about the uh the fillet here. You guys want to say a few words about the greatest action movie ever made? Yeah, ne- never heard of this one before. Uh have you guys seen this? <laughs> Hard boiled. Uh thought it was just how I like my eggs. Turned out it's a fun time at the movies. More of a soft boiled man myself. More soft boiled, yeah. I like that little that soft yolk. Man. Yeah, you need that. That's, you that's, need t- that. that's tough. Can you imagine Chow Yun founding a massive hit called Soft? <laughs> <laughs> oh God, uh, yeah. I, I don't know, man. I mean, this is probably like my my third or fourth time watching this movie, and every single time I put it on, I'm just kind of like floored by how ridiculous it is. It's just like it's it's perfect. It, it really it, is the perfect balance of melodrama and action and just the the sweeping camera movements and everything is so fucking over the top but so fucking serious at the same time it's no winky winky bullshit it's all just straight up action and and drama and there's no there's no quips it's just mm, no fat boy shrieking around we got rid of that no, yeah. Chow Yun Fat at no point mentions how he looks like Chow Yun Fat. We, we have none of none of that stuff. We do have John Woo as as Mr. Woo, though. 
uh, yeah. in a starring role who does actually kind of serve almost as a narrator and that he kind of like whenever he does show up to give advice to tequila chow yun fat's character he's, he's almost like a kind of like it's almost like he is the script writer laying out what has to happen next which but but it's it's uh you know kind of like what we say a, a functional setup it, it works it's kind of like this third space in the film that the jazz club the tequila finds solitude and rest in when he's not out uh, engaging in the most over-the-top gunfighting extremity known to man uh yeah mm-hmm. i mean hard-boiled like it's hard to think of new things to say about it frankly it, it no. is as, it's as good as everyone knows it already is but it's it's kind of I guess what's impressive to me watching it now is, I mean, technology and CG and stuff has moved up to a point that, like, action movies can do all kinds of, like, up-close, brutal kind of fighting elements that, you know, kind of, you can kind of, like, do these things that just you couldn't do safely, particularly with guns. I mean, you know, you put a blank in a gun, you still can't shoot that at someone's face. It will, you could still kill or Mm -hmm. injure someone severely, you know, you still had to, like distance and things you know nowadays you can do all kinds of stuff because it's all cg you can you can mend everything and it kind of it's it's rewritten the action handbook and allow for like this kind of intensity and extremity that really you couldn't do in the 90s and the 80s it was impossible but hard-boiled exists with this kind of plane of just like constant movement and like there's it's just like i don't know how the production designers on this movie or the set dressers in this movie like this movie at all points is exploding like everything in every scene is exploding at all times oh, i love it too and it's like how do they reset like how do you go oh let's do it one more time it's like what the fuck you blew everything up. <laughs> but it's like that that's what stays like the logistics to make a film that looks like that is so insanely just demanding no one mm-hmm. does it. No one wants to do this, which makes Hard Boiled Stand as like the the apogee of this kind of old school action mindset, this physical action mindset. And it's just like it's incredible. It's like at any yeah. given time, there's like four different uh, like main action spectacles occurring on the screen at the same time. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's just wild it's like there's stuntmen doing stuff in the background of a shot that any other person be like that's what that's the whole movie is that we'd love to have that <laughs> it's just that one and moment, like, no, yeah. that's just that's just texture to the back because we have something crazier happening over here uh it's mm-hmm. yeah it's 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 hard boiled it's it's what it says in the tin it's what every pull quote on every movie cover has said it's it's insane yeah absolutely and it's also i mean it's just a marvel in terms of not only is the action that good, like it, it looks that good and there's nothing else but that came before it that comes close and there's nothing else after that can hold a candle to it. But just just the structure and the pacing, it's so fucking perfect. You, you basically have it broken down so that in each act there is a massive uh, action set piece and it builds and builds and builds. So the first one is, you know, in, in, in the restaurant. And you're like, holy shit, that was fucking incredible. And then it builds to the raid at the uh, warehouse where you've got the guys coming in on the motorcycles and everything. You're like, fuck, that was even better. More things are blowing up than I've ever seen blown up before. And then by the time you get to the hospital, it's just this, you know, uh, crescendo into sustained fire and explosion and gas, you know, flying out of fucking windows. There's glass breaking everywhere. It's incredible. 
And then to add little wrinkles to it, and this is why I appreciate how sincere and serious this movie is. You know, it's like, oh no, we're in a hospital and we're in the maternity ward and what are we going to do with all these babies? No other movie could take that shit seriously. Like, they, they would have to make little wisecrack jokes or, you know, do some sort of a fucking needle drop. And here, it's played straight and it's so fucking cool. Just Chow Yun-Fat blasting guys in the head and, you know, he catches a bullet in the shoulder, it sprays on the baby's face and he wipes the baby's fucking face off. Are you <laughs> kidding me? Yeah, I mean, oh. so many movies do. I mean, it's it's kind of a standard dramatic standard, particularly a melodrama standard to kind of flow like, you know, the innocent babe and the, the you know, conflicted human that will result, you know, the world will weigh on them and tarnish them. But yeah, John Woo puts them, they're both in the same frame together. Like it's it's straight up. This yeah. is how it rolls. And it, I mean, it works. He works in kind of heavy illusions and and kind of rigid and i mean is very concerned with rigid frameworks of of brotherhood versus uh kind of like fraternal brotherhood versus i guess fealty you know uh bands of you know what do you say gangs or whatever you know or policemen uh fraternities um and and these kind of very strong rigid bonds and masculine kind of codes that he's looking at melodrama suits it really well because i mean it's kind of a melodrama tends to be a very constricted kind of like format for telling stories or or i guess it's it's a methodology that allows you to kind of you know kind of rein things in and and make things kind of like poetically play to each other you know kind of you, you can foreshadow a destination things kind of are pulling you in that direction and it seems like a very good way of dealing with kind of bonds of of brotherhood or whatever as john woo explores just sort of like there there's a, a predestination a predetermination to it that that i think form and content really really works superbly well but most men are scared of this register they don't like mm -hmm. it uh, and so they didn't make movies in any you know of any type for men they were like, I mean, they do, but it's like, you know, the war movies were all melodramas, but you, you couldn't call them that. Um, mm. John Woo, though, like leaned so far into them, they became, you know, is very obviously coded in that register. I mean, these they're like women's movies, except they, you know, the, the, the traditional woman's movie, except it's about a dude, you know, true, like wiping blood off his face, having catapulted <laughs> himself through a window with a shotgun. Uh, it's very very different thing you know and it's it, what struck me about watching it this time i think actually is how much of it, strangely the departed is presaged in this but it, mm -hmm. it's interesting because uh, john woo is christian i think he's protestant primarily um and so like obviously his films are noted for their like christian imagery which is somewhat unusual in hong kong cinema most of his, his companions are not christian um, they they borrow things sometimes, but it's it's not really you know it's more because it looks cool or it's kind of interesting. You know, Choi Hawk throws in some comment on Christianity here and there, but it's not like this codified worldview that John Woo has. Um, and the the idea of I mean uh, Tony Lung's um, undercover cop and basically losing his way, you know, going so deep undercover that effectively he you know he's he's committing criminal acts, he's killing people, and maybe. Some of them, they're they're legally criminals, but are they bad people? Do they deserve to die? Did he deserve to be the person to kill them? You know, these conflictions, it's all laid out in this way that then Infernal Affairs being, a, you know, a huge Hong Kong hit down the line, which was, I think, really was seen as kind of like a re 
resurgence of like the classic Hong Kong mode when it came out in the early 2000s. Well, I think the first one came out, what, 99, maybe? It was kind of like Hong mm-hmm. Kong Cinema hadn't had like a huge hit like that for a couple of years. Um, but it was a staunchly Buddhist series in that context, you know. Um, and then Martin Scorsese remade the first two Infernal Affairs films, basically like, rejigged them into The Departed and made it uh, overtly Catholic. Uh, and it's interesting because it's really just kind of like converting it back to hard-boiled, almost. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. No, I can see that. Except it's not yeah. as good as Hard Boil. Nothing's as well, good no, as Hard I Boil. Mean, man, no, uh, Marky Mark could not, you can't hold a candle to Chow Yun Fat, really, when it comes down to no. it. Well, I mean, Scorsese, no one's going to say an ill will, uh, ill word about him, but uh, he's not the action director that Wu is, for no, God's sake. No. I mean, mm. I, would, I would say, and I, I just say, like, I think The Departed is great fun, but I, yeah. I don't think it's a top tier Scorsese either. No, no, certainly not, I would say. Uh, but yeah, this movie is is top tier no matter what framework you're looking at it through like i i just i'm astounded by it more and more every time i watch it frankly it's got this like effect of i'm like watching that uh warehouse raid and i'm like well everyone always talks about that hospital but what about this thing this thing this might be the best sequence in the movie and then you get to the hospital and you're like no, I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, this, this is, yeah, yeah. It, it is a series of escalations starting off with, like Steve says, like the wildest gunfight you've ever seen. And it's like, OK, yeah, we, we've set the bar, which is that we're not, you know, we're not going to be bound by what people think you were able to do. And then, yeah, by the end, I mean, and that last fight is like what, 30 minutes at least. Solid oh, at least. I think that, just, I think they're in the hospital like an hour into the movie. An hour in, yes. And then they have a couple of little bits and pieces and then. That once once it kicks off, it is just like it's just astounding and just like it's just perpetually exploding. Every there's just stuff happening everywhere, and I, I just don't like logistically. I just it's just a film. I don't quite understand how you put it together, right? Because yeah. it's like an explosion in a movie is a big thing, and you like you you plan around it and you film the explosion, and then it's like that's important, you know. Whereas, like, when if your entire movie is basically a series of explosions, how do you reset? What do you happen to you need another take? You need, and like, and everyone's dangerously close to everything. It's just I know actors were injured. I mean, Chow Yun Fat injured at least his his hand by being like it was close to like a a squib or something going off. Like, like everything around them is just like it's this just kinetic just uh like just landslide of elements uh throughout mm-hmm. it's crazy just yeah. deranged it, and you think about like you think about that warehouse raid and you compare it to american action films in the 90s which i love a great deal of american action films in the 90s but that, that would probably be the best action scene in any American action film in the 90s. <laughs> and it's not the best one in this movie. Now, there's just, I, I, it's just an astonishing thing. Like, uh, mm. what, a, what an accomplishment this movie is. And it's just fun all the way through. And it feels like it iterates a lot on, on certain things in American 80s action films and just maximizes everything. But... Yeah, it it deals with a lot of like familiar archetypes for people who are not versed in in HK stuff, and I mean it's kind of one of the best heavies you'll ever see with the Mad Dog. Oh god, yes, yeah. fucking. I, I think it it trades real. I mean, the casting in the film is tr- like they they are actually carrying a tremendous amount of weight. Um, 
more so than a lot of action films because the action is so intense and chaotic you would you would lose characterization you would lose story and just how involved it is but when you, you like basically you just have these charisma houses you have Chow Yun Fat playing just the hot-headed just like you know just immediately likable but kind of like deranged kind of like hero and then you have Tony Lung just being the saddest man on earth and he just instantly can do that you know you just you just look at his eyes and you're like there's a man with the weight of the world on his shoulders and then you have Anthony Wong playing just the slimiest grease ball imaginable <laughs> and then yeah is it, is it Philip Coe I think is is plays Mad Dog who is is it absolutely maybe the greatest heavy in action cinema frankly and just kind of like basically you know they don't do too much with him he's just like he is just relentlessly efficient at just getting what's done and what needs to be done done but then towards the end even he's humanized a bit by being not as nasty as anthony wong's character being like wait what are we doing here and then you know gets gets booted out for that it's um uh, yeah, it's it's just one of those movies that just is uh, almost kind of remind me like a Fury Road a little bit. It's one of those movies that is kind of relentlessly paced, but just it expertly injects just enough detail into each character to make it kind of keep your interest in um, and and kind of keep the shape of the narrative. Um, it's 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 just a really impressive movie, and I think more impressive to me is the fact that this isn't even like my favorite John Woo movie. I think like I think the Killer is the greatest John Woo movie. I think Bullet in the Head might be the second greatest hot John Woo movie. But if you just want to see John Woo in action mode, if you just want to see like what what is the 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 methodology of what he wants to do. What what is you know the John Woo method? Hard boiled. It's just two hours and seven minutes of just everything you could want uh, just mm -hmm. with seemingly no limitations this doesn't look like a movie that that anyone said like no you can't do that it's like if they did god only knows what it was because they did everything else <laughs> yeah i i think you know like like you said at the beginning there's what do you what do you say about this movie that hasn't already been said and it, yeah it's it's the fucking greatest and it lives up to the reputation and the only thing i can say is it, and I'm, this is why I'm so happy we covered this. I, I'm tired. I'm tired, Jack. I'm fucking tired of movies. <laughs> like, you know, sometimes, especially when we, we did like that recap of 2023 horror. And I was like, my God, all this fucking dreck, this dog shit. There's so much dog shit. And then you watch something like Hard Boiled and it's, it's this beautiful spark that reminds you of why you fucking love movies. So. Yeah, if you're listening to this, you probably have seen Hard Boy, but when was the last time you sat down and watched it? Why don't you watch it again? It will, you'll feel revitalized. This is, a, this is a perfect movie for the new year. Start your new year with Hard Boiled, and you'll have a great year. Or you'll have a great two hours, and then the rest of your life will be shit. But for two hours, it'll be great. So, yeah. Uh, probably should wrap things up, though. So, Myros, what are, you, what are you putting over this week? You know, it strikes me that we never put over what we should have, which is Damon Packard, uh, with his, oh yeah, with his recent uh, AI spectacle, the man who couldn't miss screenings, which is uh, about <laughs> the story of your life, about the best way to spend eight minutes. Uh, you know, find this on YouTube. I would suggest find his entire channel. He's really gotten into fucking around with AI in, a, in an incredibly delightful way. So, uh, I, I mean, 
find it. I don't know how long a lot of this stuff is going to stay up because he's definitely dicking around with copyrighted material. But yeah, uh, as he tends to do. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I would I would suggest uh, hit up old Damon Packard on YouTube and uh, give him some views and download uh, some of this stuff before it disappears because it's it's pretty remarkable what he's up to. He's literally the only filmmaker who's using AI in a way that is interesting or compelling or yes, like yeah. pushing any artistic boundaries. So good on him. Jack, what are you putting over this week? I'm, I'm going to stick with the, the John Woo register of just deadly earnestness. Uh, and I'm going to put over a Tamil film I watched this week called Jigarthanda Double X, which is on Netflix in many languages, but I believe Tamil is the original one. And, uh, it's it, it kind of blew me away. It's a little slow to start. It's kind of building in that two part kind of like intermission kind of thing. It is it's close to three hours long. It starts a little slow and I was kind of like wondering a little bit. It's like, what what is this going to do where, you know, it's it really seems to be like, I think we've covered all the ideas. Like, let's get it going. Mm -hmm. And then the back half just blew me away. It It turns into this like very earnest film about. Basically, the camera as a weapon, as cinema, as a political device. And um, granted, you know, a, a lot of us sneer at, you know, oh, filmmakers think they can make a difference and so on. But honestly, the way it's it's registered here is pretty remarkable. And if nothing else, it's it's a really, really kind of potent, dramatic spectacle. So, uh, yeah, Chigar Thanda Double X, uh, give it a go. And if, if an hour in, you're not like fully sold, just stick with it is my, is my advice it, it will it'll it'll come for you all right well i know we're we're past christmas at this point but i i did watch a lot of christmas movies in the past week and uh, a few that were new to me and one really stuck out to me now i have gone on record before saying that i'm a big fan of uh not all but many uh lifetime or hallmark movies and i feel like there's sort of the the other side of the coin when it comes to, uh, <clears throat> you know, schlocky 80s action or, or horror films or anything like that. And one thing I'm always looking for when I watch a movie is I want to be shown something new. I want to be surprised. I want to I want to feel something different. And sometimes that's achieved through a movie like Hard Boiled, where it is this perfect, beautiful spectacle. And other times the movie is doing something unintentionally subversive or uh, just boneheaded and anti-cinematic in a way that, that makes it compelling. And that is the case for a little film I watched called The Enchanted Christmas Cake. Now, Myros, are, are, you, are you a fan? Are you aware of The Enchanted Christmas Cake? Uh, no, Steve. Shockingly, I'm not familiar with The Enchanted Christmas Cake. Oh, that's, that's too bad. So it, it hits all the typical lifetime beats of Oh, you know, a guy comes to this town and a woman is back in the hometown and they, they fall in love. And even though their lives are different, all that stuff, like it, it fits in that formula. But it has a little bit of added magic through the aforementioned enchanted Christmas cake. And the Christmas thing that really puts it anyway. over, it's a fuck. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big it's part like a fruit of it. Cake? <clears throat> Yeah, no, it's it it seems like a normal ass cake the whole time. Panettone? But the the thing that makes it so special is you know, people always rag on movies like, "Oh, the actors can't act or, you know, the the boom mic dropped into the frame and isn't that silly?" But one thing 
that rarely is odd to the point of being distracting is like hair, makeup, wardrobe. Like those things are, are normally pretty bog standard, especially in something like a Lifetime or a Hallmark movie where it's just like dudes wearing shit from the gap. Like it's, it's nothing fucking special. And let me tell you, the Enchanted Christmas Cake has some of the worst hair, makeup and wardrobe I have ever seen in a film, bar none. Bar fucking none. It is absurd to the point where I think like the entire costuming and makeup department must have had something against the lead actress because they are actively making her look like a fucking goblin. I shit you not. And she's supposed to be this like, you know, hot item romantic lead to this this guy. And she's got the most hideous bangs ever fucking committed to a, a human's forehead and her hair is all like frizzled and dried out. And then she's wearing this shirt. I don't even understand the construction of it, but it's got like this high neck and these fucking frills all over it. It's this hideous shade of purple. It is masterful, masterful how shitty it looks. So, yes, we're past the Christmas season. Maybe bookmark this one for next Christmas. But if you need to scratch an itch and that itch happens to be, I want to see someone look like a real fucked up piece of shit. The Enchanted Christmas Cake is what you need in your life right now. And with that, if you enjoyed the podcast today, let me tell you what you can do. Why not start off your new year with a generous donation? And that donation can be to this podcast. We have a link in the description to the podcast, and it'll take you to our Patreon page. And when you go to that page, you can give us money. And why would you want to give us money? Well, for the low, low price of a couple of fucking bucks, man, uh, not only will we be supporting this podcast, but... Uh, in return for your generous donation, you'll get access to an exclusive feed of Optimism Vaccine podcast and written content, including brand new Patreon exclusive episodes, including our recap of 2023 horror films, which, my God, that was my fucking Vietnam watching all those fucking things. Uh, <laughs> spoiler alert. 2024. <laughs> yeah, 2024. Can it get worse than... Pet Cemetery Bloodlines. I sure fucking hope not, because I don't even know what that would be. But maybe, anyways, you want to hear our, our thoughts on 2023 horror films? They're out there. You just got to join the Patreon. Also, if you live in the continental United States, to become a patron, I will send you a movie from my personal collection. So a DVD, a Blu-ray, a VHS tape, something. You'll get it in the mail. And that's nice. Everybody likes mail. It's a fun little treat that you get for being a supporter. Now, if you really want to support us, uh, you can bump yourself up to that $5 tier, and that'll get you everything I just mentioned. Plus, you'll get to vote in special Patreon polls that uh, allow you to help us pick content for future episodes. I'm sure we're going to do another one of those very soon. And you get your name read right out on the air. So, Myros, heading into 2024, who are our five and above patrons? We have David, Evan, Ryan, Dustin, and Paula. God bless every single one of them. Now, if you really really want to contribute here or you're just like i want to hear these fucking guys talk about something very specific or i hate these assholes and i want to watch make them watch something that uh, will really upset them and ruin their week well it's easy just donate 25 dollars, and you get to choose a whole episode anything you want and our patrons have been very generous and the episodes they've chosen in the past have been uh, honestly fantastic some of my favorite stuff that we've done so uh, something to think about. Uh, yeah, and I guess that pretty much wraps it up. So 
Uh, if you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, optimismvaccine at gmail.com. Myros is constantly refreshing that inbox. Uh, or you can hit us up on social media, whatever platform you like, at Optimism Vaccine, and we'll we'll probably be there. Maybe. I don't fucking know. What do I, I don't know anything. And uh, yeah, we'll be back next week. 